the government tells you glyphosate is safe, it's not true. You really need to watch out for it. You need to watch out for it in your um, in your local environment, in the air, in the water, and especially in the food, um, to to minimize your glyphosate exposure by being very careful about what you eat. If you could name one word for why you should eat organic foods, what would that be? I think that word is glyphosate. Glyphosate is one of the most widely used herbicides in the United States. Sprayed in agricultural, urban, and suburban areas, it is a ubiquitous chemical that is becoming increasingly concerning to human health and overall planetary health, and increasingly hard to avoid. Today's guest, Dr. Stephanie Seneth, is joining us today for an important conversation about what glyphosate is and why it has widespread impacts on human and overall environmental health. And I believe today's conversation is one of the most important podcasts that we have taped. Dr. Seneff is Senior Research Scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. For over three decades, her research interests have always been at the intersection of biology and computation. In recent years, Dr. Seneff has focused her research interests back towards biology, concentra- concentrating mainly on the relationship between nutrition and health. Since 2011, she has published over 30 papers together with colleagues in various peer-reviewed medical and health-related journals on topics such as modern-day diseases, including Alzheimer's, autism, and cardiovascular diseases. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of disease and wellness. Don't miss this important conversation about glyphosate and the impacts on your digestion, microbiome, brain health and mood, immune system, and much more. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Senna, for being here today uh, to talk about glyphosate. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So first of all, let's let's discuss uh, for the listeners some of the basics. What is glyphosate and how does it work and why is it so important? Yeah, glyphosate is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup, which a lot of people know about. They know Roundup, they don't necessarily know glyphosate. And it's uh, very familiar to people because you can go get it at the garden shop and you can zap your dandelions or kill the weeds in your walkway. It's considered to be extremely safe and the government doesn't regulate it at all. So people can just go buy it. They don't have to have any kind of, you know, permission. And, um, and it's used very, very extensively in agriculture for the foods. Uh, and so it ends up as a contaminant in many, many food products. Um, government thinks it's safe. They don't measure how much is in the food. They don't care. So it's very, we've been told from way back that it's a very safe chemical. So that's really getting in the way of people appreciating the dangers of it. I, I think you've hit on the, the right tack right away, which is that essentially if we find something that's very, you know, we can go to a hardware store and get Roundup. We can go to, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot, right? I mean, so it must be safe, right? Right, but, exactly. Yeah, it's very, very casual about how you use it. And I think a lot of people who are using it in their yard are not aware they need to be careful. Right, right. Um, um, and then, you know, we know that, you know, it's being used as a herbicide, but essentially I think what you say in, in your book too, is that there's a lot of pervasive and multi-systemic, you know, from a functional approach, um, sort of effects on both, both human health, but also it sounds like the health of all creatures. Right. The ecosystem is really being messed up by glyphosate in my opinion. <laughs> so let's, t- let's kind of take a deeper dive now into how glyphosate's 
affects the the human body, especially with the shikimate pathway. I think that's mm-hmm. a good good place to start. That is a good place to start. Yes, and that is the pathway that it disrupts in the plants. Um, all plants have a shik- the shikimate biological pathway, and there's a particular enzyme in the pathway called EPSP synthase. And they have figured out that that enzyme really gets messed up by glyphosate. It gets severely suppressed. And that causes uh, huge problems for the plant because it depends upon the pathway to produce the aromatic amino acids. Those are three of the coding amino acids of the famous DNA code that assemble into proteins. And they're also precursors to a lot of other really important biological molecules in the plant, but also in the human. So what happens with us is that our gut microbes have that pathway, they have that enzyme and they're affected by glyphosate when it's in our food or in our water or in, even in our air. And the uh, microbes um, that are harmed by it, so they become sick, but they also, that pathway in particular is disrupted. And so there are many things that the microbes do for the host that depend on that pathway. And so we become deficient in a lot of really critical nutrients and, and biologically active molecules. Um, Mm -hmm. And in particular, for example, those aromatic amino acids are precursors to the um, neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, and also they they are converted into uh, melanin, the skin skin tanning agent, and also thyroid hormone and several B vitamins. So there's a whole bunch of really important biologically active molecules that are going to be suppressed, uh, will be less available because of the effect of glyphosate on the plants as well as on the microbes in our gut. So glyphosate is really affecting both the microbiome in, in our bodies mm-hmm. as well as as well as human cells in, in, mm-hmm. in addition to the microbiome. Is that right? Well, because the uh, human cells depend upon the microbiome to produce these ah, uh, indirectly. aromatic okay. amino acids, then, it. it's, uh, then they become right. everything that comes from them becomes deficient. Right, right. Because I think the argument is that, you know, I think like you said in your book, uh, glyphosate is safe, is quote unquote safe to humans because human cells don't use that shikimate pathway, but because human cells depend on right. the microbiome and the bacteria that do use a shikimate pathway, that's where we get we get some harm from that. Right. And not only do they not, the microbes are not only not, not able to make those products, but the microbes also get sick because that pathway is affecting their health. And so we get a complete imbalance in the gut microbiome with a loss of critical, uh, you know, beneficial bacteria, uh, lactobacillus and bifidobacteria in particular are hit hard by glyphosate. And this You're saying that glyphosate pathogen. preferentially affects the, the um, those beneficial microbes. microbes? Yes. Well, those two in particular, that whole, those two mm. classes, the lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria are really important, especially in the infant gut. The infant gut should be dominated by lactobacillus, but that gets, it gets so hurt by the glyphosate that other microbes get a chance to proliferate and become more dominant. And often those are pathogens like Clostridia, Desulfovibrio. Um, so yeah. even your, maybe even someone that ha- was vaginally born and is breastfeeding and stuff, but then they're eating a lot of foods either through, you know, breast milk or, or some conventional solids that are contaminated with glyphosate, that might actually disrupt that shikimate pathway and thus the gut microbiome. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, uh, we had Joe Pozzorno on recently. Uh, he had talked about um, glyphosate, kind of touching on it a little bit because he was talking about toxins in general. And he was saying that glyphosate, um, there's some other parts, other like petrochemicals in right. Roundup. So it's like not just glyphosate, but other things as well. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And in fact, this is something that um, I'm well aware of and so researchers have shown 
um, Monsanto, when they did their studies to see if glyphosate was safe, they always used pure glyphosate in the studies. But when they created the formulations, they added things to it, in particular petrochemicals, surfactants, you know, and adjuvants, things that would make the, um, both make the glyphosate more toxic and that were toxic in and of themselves. And Professor Seralini in France has done a lot of work on that to show that those ad adjuvants, those things that are added to the formulation should have been studied as well. And they should have been studied along with glyphosate used together. In fact, even when they evaluated the GMO crops that were designed to be resistant to glyphosate, I was really shocked to find this out. When they did safety studies on the GMO of these crops that have a GMO bacterial gene inserted into them to make them resistant to glyphosate, they did not expose those crops to glyphosate in the evaluation of their safety, which is really shocking. So they evaluated the safety of the GMO in the context of a situation where the product was not used, which is completely foolish because they know that if you've got that GMO, you're going to use glyphosate. So it sounds like the food chain is rife with these GMOs that have glyphosate and these unnamed petrochemicals without really safety, real safety studies, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's, um, it's just uh, also there's other issues that uh, this Saralini also pointed this out that um, or showed it in his in his own studies, they had um, declared that you only had to look for three months when you're evaluating toxicity of a chemical with mouse studies, you only have to look for three months. If you don't see anything after three months, you're good to go. And he, he repeated the study that Monsanto had done, exactly the same study, only he kept going after three months. And by three months, he wasn't seeing any real evidence of harm. It, mm -hmm. Trouble started appearing after four months. And by the time the experiment was done over the entire lifetime, of the rats, they had um, the males had kidney damage and liver damage. The females had um, massive mammary tumors, and um, both genders had issues with reproduct reproductive issues, and they had early death. They died uh, prematurely. All of those things showed up, but it took a long time. This was with a low dose of glyphosate and end of Roundup. They did both. It's kind of like pharmaceutical safety studies with, you know, eight weeks up, everything's fine, you know. Right, we, exactly. We, really we don't want to look too long because we don't want to find what we might find. Yeah, and I mean, obviously term. some pharmaceuticals are beneficial, just like, you know, there's probably roles for different things. But looking at something long term, we know that, you know, in an organism that's exposed to glyphosate, it's not going to, a lot of, you know, humans are not going to live usually for only three months, right? It's going to be exactly. much more than that. So we have to look at the long-term effects as well. Um, let's go into, into human health a bit. I know that's one of your specialties, one of your in a research specialties. You've published a lot of papers on this um, connection between environmental toxicity, human disease. So what are the, what are the main connections that you can kind of link between glyphosate, uh, glyphosate exposure, glyph glyphosate levels, and chronic disease? Yeah, that's a huge one. And of course, you see it uh, in, in, in analysis of trends, disease trends. That's what's really, really striking. And Nancy Swanson was the one, Dr. Nancy Swanson, who first kind of started this idea of looking at the databases that the government provides readily available online, health databases. There's both a hospital discharge data and, of course, there's death statistics. What do people die of? And you can look at it over time and draw, and draw a plot. Mm. And when you do that, and then you compare it to the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops, you find that there are many, many diseases and conditions that are going up in our population exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. And we have a number of different slides, you know, um, both in papers and in slides where we show incredible correlations. Autism, of course, comes to mind immediately because there's a perfect match between the autism in first grade 
and the uh, accumulated use of glyphosate over four years before for, before that time. So from the age of two to the age of six in the child's life, the levels of glyphosate in the environment and then plotted against autism in first grade, the two, the two curves coincide. They have a perfect match. I'm curious if there's any individual data on looking at urinary levels of glyphosate and, and disease? There, and there are, are, there are actually, and I can think of at least a couple. One is uh, w- pregnant women looking at glyphosate levels in the urine um, uh, in pregnancy, and then looking yeah. at the um, girl babies that were born. This is a recent paper. And there's a metric you can use uh, on the, the formation of the genitals, or it's a distance, but the, it's called the anal, uh, it's, it's the uh, anogenital distance is what it's called. It's, it's a metric on the, on the form. And if it's long, that's an indicator of excess testosterone exposure in utero. And they showed a, a statistically significant correlation between the level of glyphosate in the urine of the mom while she was pregnant and this, this metric. And, this, and when you have this metric, a girl baby who has this problem, they are much more susceptible. I think it's like 14 times as susceptible to polycystic ovary syndrome which is a very common uh, form. It's a very common condition in women that causes infertility. Those people often have irregular periods or no periods at all. They have a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. And also that condition, PCOS, is associated with increased risk to autism and increased risk Mm. to producing children with autism. So all of that connects Mm. together. Autism is also, I think, connected to too much testosterone in utero in the male. Mm So it's expressed differently in the two genders. And that's probably why the males have a much higher likelihood of autism than the females, because it is this uh, disruption of the production of estrogen in the brain, which makes a big difference, a bigger difference for the female, for the male than for the female in utero. So the males don't have nearly enough estrogen in the brain and it disrupts their brain development. Um, and that's because it's a very clear reason. I always look for the underlying you know, biological reason. And glyphosate has been shown to suppress an enzyme called aromatase, which converts testosterone to estrogen. So that's all a very clean story. And there's another study that showed uh, urinary levels of glyphosate correlated with uh, liver disease. This was fatty liver disease. Um, and the ones who had um, who had the disease versus didn't have the disease, there was a statistically significant difference in the levels of glyphosate in the urine. And among those who had the disease, um, the ones who had more severe disease had more glyphosate than the ones who had a more benign case. So that was, again, clear evidence that glyphosate was linked to this fatty liver disease. So just a little brief public service announcement for those of you who just listened to the glyphosate being a possible aromatase inhibitor, all the bodybuilders out there, don't take glyphosate just to boost your (laughs) testosterone. That'd be the worst thing, right? Right, I know. EDC, uh, endocrine disrupting uh, chemical. Um, I think a big topic, you know, we, we, you know, uh, talk about a lot in, in functional medicine, um, functional nutrition, et cetera, um, just root cause medicine overall is uh, leaky gut, right? And we talk about the yes, gut permeability. Absolutely. Are we absorbing nutrients and things like that? Does glyphosate cause leaky gut as well? Yes, it does. And absolutely. And in fact, there are studies, peer reviewed studies that have shown that. Um, uh, Zach Bush is a, is a. Zach Bush, yes. Right. He's an author on these multiple studies. Uh, where they showed experimentally, um, I think in rats, that the glyphosate disrupted the gut barrier. Uh, it, it, it increased the expression of, a, of an enzyme called zonulin, and zonulin yeah. causes this uh, response that involves a leaky gut barrier. So I want to get back to Zach Bush once we get into 
possible therapeutics for this, um, but it, it sounds like there could be something there. Um, what about other uh, other conditions? I think we think about uh, certainly brain uh, brain issues, brain fog, cognitive decline, uh, depression, anxiety. Any any links there between glyphosate and those? Absolutely, conditions? I think it's quite clear. And there's again studies coming out, even in in mice and rats, they've shown shown that glyphosate exposure causes depression-like symptoms uh, in, in, the, in the mice. Uh, and, and again, not, not very high doses, low doses of glyphosate can cause depression. Um, and that could be connected to serotonin, I think, because serotonin is one of the uh, hormones as a neurotransmitter that is comes out of that shikimate pathway. So mm. you have suppressed uh, levels of serotonin in the brain. Serotonin is called the feel-good hormone. So it's uh, causing depression, I think, through in part probably through that melatonin is another one that is um comes out of the shikimate pathway producing the pineal gland uh, in the evening and it's very critical for sleep you know people a lot of people take melatonin to help them sleep we have a huge problem with sleep disorder and that's one of the conditions we that do. we showed we is going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops and i think that's part of the reason for that is the melatonin deficiency due to glyphosate mm -hmm. suppressing the shikimate pathway in the microbes and in the foods in the plants. It's such a big food. issue because, you know, even with people eating organic and we'll even test people's urinary levels of glyphosate on a functional lab test and they still have some of them are even high or they're they're definitely mm. detectable, right? We know that there's no safe level, is that correct? No, I don't think there's any safe level. In fact, there's some evidence that lower doses are more toxic than higher doses and that's because of this whole effective endocrine disruptor, it's become well known that uh, toxic chemicals that act as endocrine disruptors are more toxic at low doses, because it's at those low mm -hmm. doses that they can pretend to be some kind of an endocrine signal and you get these incorrect uh, endocrine responses. And so the hormones get all messed up. And I think and glyphosate is very clearly an endocrine disruptor. It's become very clear, actually, in recent studies. And if, think, if the level is too high, sir, if the level is too high, that would provide some negative feedback to the system to. Yeah, I don't know. I think it I, I think it has to do with the fact that at the low levels, it imitates the appropriate concentration to be effective ah, as binding it. to the receptors and doing its thing. Whereas if yeah. it's too much, it maybe doesn't that doesn't work correctly anymore. I think it's at the levels that are. Uh, appropriate for an endocrine uh, It fits signal. into the parking space on yeah, the exactly. receptor. Yeah, exactly. It becomes Got a it. signal. It's it, quite interesting yeah. and it's quite surprising. Yeah. You, you wouldn't think of that offhand. You wouldn't believe it, but it turns out to be true. For yeah. And plastics have that property too. Got um, it. Wow. Um, let's get into the, the rabbit hole. I think maybe some of the listeners want, <laughs> want to talk about um, immune system health and COVID-19. You know, we we're taping this in 2022, so we're yes. still in, you know, your third year now of the pandemic, but... What are your thoughts there? Oh, man, I really think so. <laughs> I think glyphosate yeah. is a major player in COVID-19. And you see the countries that are having trouble controlling COVID-19. Mm -hmm. In many cases, are countries that make high use of glyphosate. And in particular, countries that are advanced uh, in the uh, area of biofuels. I really think biofuels are playing a role. And I'm quite fascinated by that possibility. More mm -hmm. research needs to be done. And most people kind of dismiss it as in being impossible. But there's growing evidence, in my opinion, that um, what I'm thinking is happening is that there's glyphosate in the air in cities where they are promoting biofuels and they're getting those biofuels from crops that are heavily exposed to glyphosate. Okay, okay. And it's quite interesting. And in fact, I, I really focused on New York City. Back when the pandemic first started, I got interested in this idea. And as you may remember, you know, it was Wuhan and then it was Northern Italy and then it was New York City. That was kind mm -hmm. of where the pandemic started. 
And New York City, of course, has international travel. So there's lots of stuff coming in that's going to bring the virus into the city. I will certainly admit that and it's crowded. So there's a lot of reasons why you might expect that it would catch on there. But I think there may be a further factor having to do with glyphosate and biofuels. And New York State and New York City have been leaders in the biofuel industry. And in fact, New York City was, I think, at the time, the only city in the world, as far as I could tell, that required 5% biodiesel in home heating oil. And okay. home, home heating oil in New England really is a, uh, if you look at the country, New England is the part of the country that has a lot of homes that are still heated by these, by yeah. this home heating oil. And, and New York City, I just looked this up and New York State has, they're very enthusiastic about this. And now they've required it over the whole state, 5%. And they're pushing that level up They're I think they're thinking of like 25% by 2030, something like that. They're, they want to um, encourage more and more use of these uh, bio home heating oil. So, so, so just in general, um, Dr. Senev, would glyphosate be immunosuppressive or kind of what does it do in general to the immune system? Increase yeah, it does a lot stress. of things to the immune yeah. system. And I have a whole chapter on the immune system. It's quite interesting. I really did a lot of studying of the immune system when I was uh, doing my research for my book. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, part of my of it is theoretical as far as what I see, but certainly the mitochondria, the mitochondria are being attacked by glyphosate. There's no question about that. There's several studies that have shown that glyphosate causes mitochondrial damage. And the mitochondria yeah. are the workhorses of the cell that produce the, um, the energy, they produce the ATP. And so when the immune cells have sick mitochondria, they can't fight disease. That's one thing. But I think another factor that's extremely interesting to me, and I wrote about it in the book, is the possibility that glyphosate's getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine, in place of the coding amino acid glycine. That, there's a lot of evidence to support that, both from Monsanto's own studies on how glyphosate affects the shikimate pathway, but also from many other different dimensions showing that, um, and then if you, and I actually predict, uh, developed what I call a glyphosate susceptibility motif that I predicted certain proteins that have this characteristic would have more susceptibility to glyphosate than other proteins. And then I could identify which proteins meet that pattern. And then what would be the consequences of that? And one thing that jumps out is collagen because collagen is a, um, it's the most common protein in the body. 25% of our proteins are collagen molecules. And it has this long, long sequence of GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine. So it has tremendous opportunity for glyphosate to substitute for glycine. And it depends upon those glycines to create its beautiful triple helix structure that it makes it work the way it's supposed to work in terms of its flexibility, its ability to absorb, absorb water, tensile strength. So all of the properties of collagen depend upon those, that regular sequence of glycines. So I think the collagen is getting messed up and collagen is a, there's something called a collagen-like stalk that's in a lot of these. Um, uh, there are these um, proteins that are released by immune cells. This is innate immunity, not adaptive, not, not antibodies. These are proteins that can go out and trap viruses, for example, and allow the macrophages to clear them. And those proteins have this collagen-like stalk that if that gets messed up by glyphosate, they won't work properly. So I wow. developed that idea, and that's theoretical. I mean, no one has shown for sure that that's happening, but I think it makes a lot of sense. If I'm right about the glycine substitution, it definitely would mess those up. So just to, just to remind the listeners, so your book is called Toxic Legacy. We'll 
make sure to save it, it on the end as well. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. I, I brought it in too. It's here. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. Um, I think number one, um, you know, glycine. It sounds like is needed for the collagen. Um, also, you know, for vascular health and um, certainly right. for um, you know the sleeping ep- uh, insomnia or sleep epidemic that you had mentioned. Glycine is needed to help hair with GABA to maintain that REM sleep. Right, and, you know, right. a lot of people That's have that important. issue. Yes. So glycine is a big issue. We, we've been finding a lot of people with glycine, glycine deficiency or, you know, basically empiric use of glycine, they start sleeping better. And I wonder how much of that is glyphosate substitution. Yes, I do actually. too. And I've heard many yeah. uh, naturopaths report that they get good success with glycine supplements. Make sure that you get organic glycine because it's organic. probably okay. okay. going to have glyphosate in it. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I guess I assume that a lot of, well, we can't assume anything, right? But, um, you know, some of the some of the more professional grade products would be more organic, but I guess we have to look at the sources, right? At the end of the day, I know it gets really complicated quickly, and I, I've been interested in actually the synthesis of um, of anything that's used as a pharmaceutical of any sort and how that's made, and you know, and when things are made in the chemistry lab or if they're made with uh, growing cultures of microbes, feeding them nutrients, are those nutrients glyphosate contaminated? Is that going to affect that product? I think mm-hmm. that's a serious question that we have not uh, addressed at all. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we can we can talk about um, I think that that question is, is kind of a segue into is it possible to avoid glyphosate? You know, how do we reduce our exposure to glyphosate? Right. That's a tough one in the United States because it's so pervasive here. <laughs> move move a, somewhere else. Uh, move move to, to, yeah. Move to Bhutan. That's what I always move tell to Bhutan. people. Move okay, to Bhutan. Right. But Bhutan is interesting because they have they still have sort of natural organic uh, farmers, small farmers, they're not, they're not, oh, know, nice. they don't have to be certified because basically that's the food they grow. Okay. And they have extremely low rates of COVID-19 and almost zero and, deaths. Have they outlawed glyphosate? They just don't use it. No, they just don't happen to, it just sort of hasn't reached them. I think it's okay. for the most okay. part, um, yeah. they are becoming westernized and I worry it's that too that's high in the mountains. Change. Yeah. It's just yeah, too I high think in the mountains. So. It's kind of too remote. Uh, they yeah. don't realize how lucky they are, but they have yeah. had, you know, no problem with COVID whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I think that's uh, part of the reason. Yeah. I think you, you look at the COVID um, crisis here and in Brazil and in most of Europe. I mean, all of those are places that are heavily reliant on glyphosate. And as I said, also glyphosate in biofuels. And it was in Brazil that a study was done that showed that found glyphosate in the nanoparticles in the air, both at the agricultural fields and in the nearby city. The city had almost as much as the, as the agricultural fields where glyphosate was being used. So let's say we're listening to this podcast here, uh, Dr. Seneth, and um, we're not, we can't move to Bhutan, although it's be a great place to go, it sounds <laughs> like. Um, where, where are the kind of the hot spots in terms of whether it's foods or, you know, other sources of exposure? Obviously, we don't want to spray our spray pesticide on our lawns and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, don't use it on your lawns. Don't use it That's on lawns. That's certainly a first yeah. step. And you can have uh, your water checked for glyphosate, your, your tap water, and make sure that okay. it's not in there. And you can add filters if, if it is. Uh, reverse osmosis. Do you recommend a certain type of filter? Reverse for osmosis Re- filtering R-O. apparently okay. will take okay. it out. Got it, got it. Um, That's good. <clears throat> um, and, and, and certainly we can assume that restaurants probably are not using RO, like when you go to a restaurant. Right, I don't know. The, yeah, their water, yeah. I, I have no clue. Right? That's a thing to worry about. Um, lots of what, things what to worry foods? about when you go uh, to the restaurant. So yeah, foods, you yeah. certified organic is really your okay. only choice. 
and it won't guarantee that you don't have glyphosate in your food because it's uh, they can't avoid it either. If a near- right. nearby farm is spraying, right? There's the spray. Over. The wind comes over, and yeah, yeah. So that it shows up, and even for example, the manure because they don't have to have organic manure, and <laughs> the manure is going to have glyphosate in it. Okay. So okay. It, it you can't avoid it, like I said, in this country. But generally, the organics come up much much better, and many of them test negative. So. Uh, definitely certified organic. That's one thing we have adopted in my family. We don't buy it if it's not certified organic. So that's a really, it's great that we have that label. It may not be perfect, but it's um, it's good to look for that. And non-GMO is not good enough. A lot of people think, oh, non-GMO, that's safe. And I want to warn people that there are the GMO Roundup Ready crops, and they certainly want to avoid those because they can just be sprayed with glyphosate and they don't die. They take it up, it gets in the food. But mm-hmm. the um, many of the non-GMO crops are actually testing for higher levels than the GMO crops. And this includes oats and uh, wheat, um, uh, garbanzo beans, chickpeas, lentils, um, sunflower seeds. Yeah. Yeah. And sugarcane. All of those are sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest as a desiccant. So they actually are trying to kill the crop. So it's not a GMO crop. It's not resistant to glyphosate. They're using glyphosate to, uh, sometimes to get to synchronize the yield, like for, for wheat, you, it causes all the plants to go to seed and they uh, harvest it shortly thereafter. And okay. the glyphosate goes into the seeds and you get really high levels. The garbanzo oh, wow. beans and chickpeas have come up with the highest levels. Canada did a whole bunch of testing and they found that really pretty much the highest levels in those, in those legumes. <clears throat> So besides the U.S., so what other countries are kind of allowing glyphosate? I know some some places are not now, correct? Right. I think Bermuda. I think Bermuda has banned glyphosate since forever, if I remember correctly. Okay. So and they're are, the pioneer. Yeah. yeah and should, there are a few other countries that have banned it and then maybe kind of For, given up a, on the ban. Sorry, from Bianca. a public health perspective, what what do we need to do as as consumers of food and drinkers of water, and you know what what do governments need to do, government officials? I mean, I know this is a huge topic here. We could probably have another podcast on this, but what right. you know, this is kind of when we look at you know more root cause health. This is really potentially one of the biggest sources of human disease and ecological imbalance that that we can see out there now is glyphosate you know we're just i think so i definitely think everything. that's the case and uh, i want to say this? mexico mexico right. has decided to ban glyphosate altogether okay. Oh, good. Um, okay and i don't know if it's 2000 i can never learn whether it's 2023 or 2024 but right around that time frame very future. soon okay. coming up they're not going to allow it at all on the crops which is really awesome and i'm that's hoping great. that they might set an example for the United States, which is not thinking any way in any way in that way. They think glyphosate's wonderful. The United States, they see that they see no downside. They because they're because there's uh, because there is evidence for harm, obviously. But is it is it more of a uh, is it more of a, a political thing or economic? Know, I think I mean because economic. it's so efficient okay. to just uh, poison the, the crop and. I mean, kill the weeds, right? And then put poison in the food. It's um, it's a much easier way to grow food. They have these mega farms. They use a lot of chemicals. Of course, it's not just glyphosate. They've got, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. insecticides and fungicides and, and even, um, you know, non, non-natural chemical-based fertilizers and things like that. So they really yeah. have gone all the way towards um, chemical-based agriculture, which I think is a huge mistake. And I think that the government kind of thinks we're stuck there. I think they think we can't survive. We can't supply the food we need if we if we don't do it this way. I think that's what they believe. And they believe it's safe because Monsanto has assured them that it's safe. 
do you think there will be currently now or in the future studies on regenerative agriculture and the economic feasibility of that? Absolutely. And that's where I'm very uh, excited about the work that's being done by many people across the country and across the world. I think that there's a, a growing interest in the whole concept of, I mean, one thing is how to re, re, re vitalize the soil because glyphosate is really messes up the soil every year you use it the soil suffers and yeah. you, you lose the minerals and you, you, the microbes in the soil get disrupted you know and there's um, impaired ability to um, for the plants to take up the minerals so the plants become deficient in minerals uh, lots of things go go badly and the yield goes down because the soil is so sick and the, the organic matter in the soil disappears the earthworms are very seriously harmed by glyphosate and they're really important in the soil they play an important role in many ways, mm -hmm. the earthworms, and they're getting clobbered by the glyphosate. So we're really, um, you, once you take away the glyphosate, then you've got to fix the soil before it's going to produce the kind of yield that you would like to see. And so really, um, and a lot of the solutions, I think, are similar to what people are saying with the gut, you know, probiotics, uh, minerals. So adding, um, adding things to the soil to make it healthier, adding mm -hmm. sulfur, sulfur deficiency, in the soil and in the plant is happening also because of glyphosate. And glyphosate is disrupting the uptake of sulfur into the plants. And Don Huber showed that in some experiments he did. Massive reduction in the amount of sulfur in plants exposed to glyphosate. So that means sulfur deficient food, which then means sulfur deficient humans, and that yeah. gives you disease. Mm. <laughs> Very true, especially with the uh, knowing that glutathione is needed to detoxify right. a lot of these, right. a lot of these issues, right. et cetera. Um, wow, there's so many, so many things that we could, we could discuss. I, I would say, um, just from a perspective of something concrete to do besides like we can vote with our pocketbooks and wallets and, you know, shopping cards in terms of buying USDA organic, et cetera, supporting regenerative agriculture. Are there any other things that we can do from an advocacy perspective to promote this to our politicians and Right. I think it's a good thing for people who uh, have the stomach for it to go after local politicians. Uh, and there's been quite a bit of success at the city level, for example, at uh, getting glyphosate banned in public places in the city, okay. getting glyphosate banned in the schoolyards. That's happened here in, in Hawaii okay. um, recently, in, in the last couple of years. Uh, and Dwayne Lee Johnson played a role in that. He was the guy who had that first case of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he, yeah. he won with a jury trial. He won a huge amount of money. And okay. he came to Hawaii and talked to the political people there. And it was really about the fastest action you've ever seen, where they just very quickly passed a law and said no glyphosate on any of the schoolyards in all of Hawaii, which was really exciting for me to see because Hawaii has shown its favoritism towards the industry in the past. And there's a lot of you know people here who are fighting the chemicals, but they, they're up against an industry that's quite powerful. So it was really impressive that they did that. And, and I've, I know individual cities in California, I think there are several cities where they banned glyphosate in public places, in playgrounds, in schoolyards, that sort of thing. You can work locally to make that happen. Um, and I would encourage anybody to, uh, who has the energy to do that sort of thing to get on it and really try to make the work it from the bottom up, starting with the cities and the counties and the, and the states. So the classic the, adage of uh, thinking globally and acting locally. Exactly. Right? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. Let's go back to the connection between glyphosate and another chronic illness or group of chronic illnesses, cancer. You mentioned Dwayne Johnson and the yes. Roundup and all that. Um, 
what is the general thought or research now on glyphosate and, and risk of cancer or incidence of cancer, I would say? Yeah, so the IARC uh, decided that glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. This happened uh, a few years back, I think maybe 2016. And that was actually a really big motivator for people to think they could win a case uh, uh, claiming that glyphosate caused their cancer. And non-Hodgkin's lymphoma really jumped out because it was quite... There were many, many people who had only used Roundup. This was the case with Dwayne Lee Johnson. He actually worked in schoolyards. He was a grounds person for the schoolyards. And glyphosate was the only chemical he used. And he got this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in his 40s, a pretty severe mm. case. So he had a really good case in the sense that you couldn't really find something else that could be blamed for it. And then with the IARC saying that it is a probable carcinogen, California actually put it on their list as a probable carcinogen. And... Um, and that has made people aware. So now there's like over 100,000 cases in the wings where people are claiming that glyphosate caused their non-Hodgkin's non lymphoma. I think it is causal in a number of other cancers as well. And you see correlations. Uh, again, when Nancy Swanson and I looked at data, we found some cancers in particular really stood out. Um, thyroid cancer and um, pancreatic cancer. Um, and of course, there's liver disease, liver cancer, kidney cancer, all of those are um, correlated with the use of glyphosate, the rise in the glyphosate use and the rise in the prevalence of these diseases. Hmm. Um, and, oh. and exactly how it's doing that is complicated. It's actually quite hard to figure that out. There was a paper that showed that glyphosate increased the risk of cancer from other chemicals. So it, it was a prime, it primed the cell susceptibility to cancer from an, another exposure. So that's a kind of synergistic toxicity effect that we see a lot with chemicals. Glyphosate is synergistically toxic with a lot of things. And in particular, I should mention this because it, it's been shown to suppress cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver. And those enzymes are critical for detoxifying many fat soluble chemicals. So those become much more toxic and that includes the insecticides, they become much more toxic as a consequence of the glyphosate disrupting the liver's ability to detoxify them. So that's, again, synergistic toxicity. That's huge. The glyphosate being a detoxification system disruptor, it essentially exactly. disables or decreases the ability of the detox system itself, the hepatic P450 enzyme, et cetera, to do their job. Um, that, that's really huge. And we know that, of course, that's needed to do things like prevent cancer, reduce inflammation, right. improve the immune system, you know, all the things we just talked about, even with COVID-19. Um, let's talk about some concrete things that our listeners can kind of glean from how to support our bodies and, you know, th th their bodies uh, are, you know, our bodies, bodies are loved ones. Um, when it comes to contact with glyphosate, what are some of the lifestyle tips, you know, nutritional tips, um, any supplements out there, anything like that, herbs out there? That would right. I think herbs and spices are actually really, really beneficial. Those are, they're really good for antioxidant effects and glyphosate has been shown to cause oxidation damage. Like it causes um, release of these reactive oxygen species in the mitochondria. That's been shown in multiple studies. And it's also shown that it can cause mitochondrial damage, DNA damage in the mitochondria. Okay. And um, yeah, which is a direct path towards cancer also. So cellular and mitochondrial damage. Yeah, like. right. And mm -hmm. they disrupt the mitochondria. They actually suppress critical enzymes in the mitochondria. That's one thing I talked about in my book. Succinate dehydrogenase is a really big one. Super important enzyme in the mitochondria involved in both the citric acid cycle and in the oxidative phosphorylation, which is what makes the ATP. That's the only enzyme that's involved with both of them. Okay. And it has been shown to be suppressed by glyphosate. Mm 
Okay. <laughs> so that's really crucial. It just yeah. disturbs the whole mitochondrial um, pathways that go on there, um, causing, of course, a loss of AGP, but also causing mitochondria to release reactive oxygen species. And, and it also causes glutathione, should be mentioned, glutathione, really, really important antioxidant. And um, they've shown in studies that it causes it to be oxidized. So it's, it's not in the reduced form, which is the form that makes mm -hmm. it beneficial. It gets stuck in the oxidized form, probably because it disrupts the enzyme that brings it back to the reduced form. And it's also deficient. So it causes a loss of glutathione. It actually wow. causes an upregulation of, of an enzyme called GGT, gamma glutamotranspeptidase, which breaks down glutathione into its individual component amino acids. And of course, glutathione contains glycine. It's glycine and cysteine and glutamate. And glycine is the, is the amino acid that glyphosate is. Glyphosate is a glycine molecule with extra material on its nitrogen atom. So I'm suspecting that glyphosate may be actually be getting into glutathione by mistake in place of glycine. That wow. would totally mess up glutathione's ability to do its job and yeah. might explain why it's upregulating enzymes that break it down. That's huge. Wow. And then cysteine is a sulfur containing amino acid, and glyphosate disrupts the whole sulfur system in a big way. Mm -hmm. And so people take N acetylcysteine, which I think is probably a good idea as a supplement to help with the glutathione. You can also mm -hmm. take liposomal glutathione. Yeah. But N acetylcysteine is, a, um, is an important, and glycine, both of those will help with the supply of the um, raw materials to make the glutathione. Sounds like we may potentially need all, all three of those after, right. <laughs> after listening to you speak about this, <laughs> Stephanie, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, what do you think about Zach Bush's or, you know, the Ion Biome product? Is right. that something, you know, there's a there's a thought of that would help with glyphosate. There is, and, I, and I'm pretty enthusiastic about it. I've taken it myself, and um, I think it's a good product. It's, um, you know, it's got a set of ingredients that make sense in terms of, um, what you might need to, to fight back against glyphosate. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently it, it looks like these sort of fulvic acid, humic acid, this is organic matter from the soil. Those things are able to, they're known to be able to trap various chemicals, not just glyphosate. They have a, a general di you know, uh, diverse mechanism that allows them to trap uh, tox toxins and, and, and clear them. Even they have uh, the possibility of um, trapping enzymes that are very versatile in terms of being able to break down chemicals um, of a variety of sorts. And so it's possible that the, this is theoretical that the fulvic acid and humic acid have trapped enzymes um, to metabolize, to break down the glyphosate, which would be really great if it's true. That's still theoretical. Okay. Um, yeah, and so then they have this, these uh, spores of these uh, microbes as well, which can help to refurbish the gut microbiome and minerals. I think there's minerals in there as well. So that's a kind of a good combination, I think. Nice. Well, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation about glyphosate. Definitely everyone check out Dr. Senov's book, Toxic Legacy. Uh, Dr. Senov, we have one uh, question about just in general thoughts about uh, a final thing you wish everyone would know about glyphosate. I think any any like take home message, you know, for, <laughs> for listeners. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, I think they just need to be aware that that it's a lie. When the government tells you glyphosate is safe. It's not true. You really need to watch out for it. You need to watch out for it in your um, in your local environment, in the air, in the water, and especially in the food, um, to to minimize your glyphosate exposure by being very careful about what you eat. And if people can't afford organic, are we talking about like Clean Fifteen, Dirty Dozen, trying to find? Some yeah, of that but that's or? actually Clean Fifteen. I don't think it's based on the glyphosate. From what I've seen, I've seen that the corn has been uh, listed as one of the Clean Fifteen, if I, my memory serves me right. Okay. Which makes no sense because corn is okay. a GMO Roundup ready 
food. So I think they're ignoring glyphosate in, in deciding. That's probably mostly based on insecticides rather than herbicides. Okay. Because they think glyphosate is safe, so they're not. So, so people it. on a budget, let's say, like, you know, maybe they're wondering, should I, can I afford this organic everything? What, what, are, what's the, uh, what's the solution? If, if <laughs> grow you know? your own food in your backyard. Grow your own food, yeah. <laughs> get some soil. Yeah, and, I, it, yeah. it's tough. I realize it's tough, and of course, food prices are going through the roof. And I suspect organic is probably going up even faster than non-organic. There's an increasing demand for organic, and can see it flying off the shelves. I often go to the grocery store and they'll have the vegetables that are organic and -hmm. there's practically nothing left. And then the other ones over there that are not organic, they're still plentiful. So you really can see that. Now now in Hawaii, Hawaii, are there there some victory gardens or, you know, something where people can grow their own food if they don't have their own plot of land, they can go to a public place and get a little plot. There is that kind of uh, system here. Yeah. And of course you can also go directly to your farmer. Like we have our, our favorite farmer and we pick up our, we make our order online. And this is really yeah. great, I think. I think this direct farm to table type of concept, yeah. I really would encourage um, the farming system to think in terms of small family farms, a web page presence, and then they, they just, uh, people order online and then they just come and pick it up. You yeah. know, I think that's a great system. Yeah. And of course, cooperatives as well. But I think it's just really super to kind of get rid of the middleman. That will save the price too. That will lower the price benefits Lower both the, the farmer and the consumer right improve health bring the bring the food production back to local yes local, local areas, level i think that's right? really important it's and that would be one one way to help if you do live mm-hmm. near farmers to really get to know those farmers and to buy directly from them if, if that's possible is great and of course even if they don't some of the farmers are so small they can't afford the whole process of the certified organic label but they don't use uh chemicals and they can tell you that and so if you have a trusted farmer you don't necessarily have to buy certified organic. I think I like to encourage those small farmers. So I feel bad that they don't necessarily have that label only because they can't afford the process, mm-hmm. you know, the price, not because yeah. they're not practicing organic. That's really a shame. The government should fix that. The government should allow a small farmer to get the certified organic label for free, you know? That's a good, think, that's a great Without point. charge, yeah. So uh, that would be helpful. I think point. the government should be encouraging every which way they can, can, should be encouraging people to think in terms of buying a plot of land and becoming a small farmer, growing organic food. I think we really have to be pushing that idea out to the, uh, to the young people to get them engaged in farming again, yeah. because we've just really lost touch with the land. We, we need are, to get back to the land, the soil. It sounds like we need to do our own research, but also become farmers ourselves. Yeah. Right. I'm almost thinking that it's almost the only safe way. And of course, with food security is an issue now, too, with all these food shortages. You have your own farm. You don't have to worry as much about food security. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Senef, again for being on. We have some fun closing questions to ask. Okay. That's okay. (laughs) So they're they're pretty straightforward. But uh, um, A, do you have a morning routine? If so, would you mind sharing that with us? We know morning routines are good for health. And (laughs) I have a kind of a fun one. I get up and usually I've got dishes from last night. So I I do the dishes while I'm making my coffee. Come down, make the coffee pretty early. I'm an early bird. And okay. get my cup of coffee, and then I go up back to bed, and I get my Sudoku puzzle. It's killer Sudoku, which I love, and I oh, work nice. my puzzle, drink my coffee. I, I sort of really relax and enjoy yeah. the first part of my day. And then my husband and I take a long walk together, all, different places. We always go to some very pretty place and take a, a walk, maybe forty-five minute walk. And then if I'm lucky, I come back and take a dip in the pool. So that's kind of a really nice start. That's amazing. Yeah, my day. And then I settle into working hard. So after that, I'm working hard. But I do allow myself that luxury of a 
of a lovely morning routine. And I don't uh, eat breakfast besides coffee. So I, I start my meal with lunch. What do you do every day to cultivate joy? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of things you do, but um, that's another question that we typically Cultivate ask. joy, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, certainly that morning routine is pretty happy. It's pretty happy, yeah. 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 And of course, my that. husband and I are really close. So we, we're very fortunate that we, um, we have each yeah. other. Yeah, especially yeah. in COVID, because you really yeah. you get lonely. You know? So right, we're very right. supportive of each awesome. other. And um, yeah, thank you, well, Dr. Senef. Um, and again, her book is Toxic Legacy. It's available on online, and I'm sure in like bookstores and everything. How can listeners learn more about you and contact you? Yeah, I have a webpage, stephaniesenef.net, uh, so you can check that out. Um, and it has my uh, links to where you can buy my book. Um, yeah, Amazon, of course, but many other booksellers also sell it, including the. Are you Chelsea on like Green. Instagram or um, those? I'm on. As well? I'm actually on a Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> I'm okay. Off of, okay. I got thrown off of Facebook, but I'm on Twitter, uh, and also on a couple of other social networks called MeWe okay. and uh, Getter, G E T T R. But so you, I no okay. longer. I no longer am on Facebook. Okay, so you got Twitter and, and your book and the other sites you mentioned. Well, thank you so much. This is very valuable information. I think this is going to take us down, hopefully, a path where we all become farmers and, you know, all become. I know. You know, I really tell young people you should be a farmer. And, that's this, it. and it can yeah. be a very interesting job with respect to trying to figure out how to grow food safely mm -hmm. and, um, and cheaply and, um, you know, really um, paying attention to how to, how to make uh, farming work, which is a research problem. So it becomes quite an interesting job, I think, in terms of scientific research, especially like how to remove the soil that's broken by all the years of toxic chemical exposures, how to fix it. That's a research problem, and we desperately need the answer to that problem. It sounds like renewing the earth is going to also renew our own health. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. So and it's, it's probably connected. going to help climate change as well. So there's nothing yeah. not to like about that. You can really yeah. feel good about yourself if you're working in that space. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, again for being on and uh, enjoy the, the walks out in uh, Kauai there. I will. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.